Good morning to each one. Greetings in Jesus' name. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. I know this is not Easter. This is not um, um, communion. But I was just thinking of Jesus and his character. And we were talking about this in our Bible class earlier this week. And so that kind of spurred my thinking for the message today. I want to read this first and then maybe share a little bit more. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we, we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and she, he, shall pro, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, we read these all so familiar verses. This passage is a famous, if you want to call it, 
familiar, popular passage of the prophecy of Jesus Christ and the things that he would suffer, the Lamb of God. And as we look at this just a little bit, it says in verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's to us today. It was to them at the time. This book, this, uh, this book was written by the prophet Isaiah. A man of God called to proclaim some difficult things to Israel and to some of the kings. But this portion of scripture was a spirit-led revelation of what God had in store for Israel. A revelation of the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, and what he would face. And I know I shared this with you before, but it's something that is just profound to me. When we went to the Creation Museum, their theme was prepare to believe. And that theme resonates with me. Because as we read God's Word, as we read this account, God was speaking through this prophet to prepare people to believe. And so as we enter into looking at this passage, we see that it enters in with a question and challenge. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It was written specifically to Israel, to the kings. This message was to go to them. And yet it was written to you and I today. So as we read, as we worship here this morning, my challenge is the same as the theme, prepare to believe, if you have not already. Isaiah 53, verse 2, says, For he shall grow up before him, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Children are born helpless, infants, needing total and complete care. And as these children grow and learn, it is so fun to see Leah. She sat up, then she pulled up, and then she started taking steps, and now she's walking around. They learn, they grow, and you know, they fall and they get tougher as they grow. And before you know it, they're hoeing their own row, as you, were, as you would say. And yet, Jesus, the Son of God that created the universe, came into this world in a miraculous way, being born of a virgin, but in a very normal way, being born of a woman. And yet he was this infant in need of total care. And yet this infant grew and learned and toughened up. And as we would say, learned to hoe his own row. These words, a root out of dry ground, was a reference to Isaiah 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. It was a promise that God had given. But the latter part, or the next part of this verse, 
as a root out of dry ground. In Psalm it says, He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness. Why? Because the last part of that verse in Psalm 107 says, For the wickedness of them that dwell therein. I want to read that again. He turns the rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Let's look at today. We look at then, but let's look at today. Could that be the affluent church of North America that we live in today? Could that be you or me? A barren land. And again, I appreciated the the verses that Daryl shared because it helps us to do a little bit of self... um, can't think of the correct word. Introspection. I don't know. Jesus didn't come as a rich, handsome, well-dressed hunk of a man, but it says he came. And it says he had no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. No form or comeliness. And I believe Jesus in his physical man's An adult body wasn't someone that was super tall or super short. I don't think Jesus was fat or super skinny. I think he was probably just an average, we call it Joe. He was an average Joe. I don't think he was ugly, and yet I don't think he was super handsome. And Scripture bears out that he wouldn't be physically attractive where people would come to him because of his good looks. People came to Jesus because he met their needs physically, spiritually, emotionally. He was the Son of God that came for a purpose. Verse 3 of Isaiah 53, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. In First John, verse 10 and 11, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and I referred to that earlier, the Creator. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So how could these people, how could these prophets, how could these chosen ones of God that had read the law and studied the prophets, how could they have read chapter 53, and I know it wasn't a chapter then, how could they have read this passage of Scripture in Isaiah that talked about this root, this tender plant 
and not recognize that it was Jesus the Christ. By faith. By faith Christ is accepted. And by these words of the prophecy of Isaiah and the words of the law, we are brought. That it was the schoolmaster that brings us to the knowledge of salvation. As we look further in that verse, it says, He was acquainted with grief, and we esteemed him not. In Luke 22, it says, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Jesus was taken in captivity. Taken captive. And then he was later turned over to the Romans. And the Romans were especially ruthless people. Basically, martial law ruled in Rome. And if someone killed someone, then the eldest man was basically the one to revenge that death. And if people were brought to law, the Roman soldiers were especially ruthless in dealing with criminals. And soldiers didn't hesitate to torture and many other things before the final judgment of death. Minor offenders would receive flogging or beaten, being beaten, or even branded. But more serious criminals were buried alive, impaled, and even as we know, Christ and those two men crucified. And so we can hardly imagine what it was like in that time of Jesus where martial law ruled and where ruthlessness was the norm. And yet Jesus was there and experienced some of the most hideous things that we could ever imagine. Isaiah 53, verse 4. So surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus Christ, the Creator, Lord, the Son of God, the one that came as a babe in the manger that grew to a man that brought the news of salvation, gave his life. He bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Jesus was 
and is our once and for all final perfect sacrifice. He bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded and bruised for our sin. This word bruised means, get this, I didn't recognize what this actually meant, but this word bruised means to beat to pieces. To bruise, to crush, to destroy, to humble, to oppress, to smite. But the very first meaning of that word bruise was to beat to pieces. And that stood out to me. Because Jesus suffered some incredible punishment before he was crucified. And yet he did it so that we might have life everlasting. The primitive root for this word bruise means to collapse or to mentally and physically break. Jesus suffered more than we can comprehend for the sins that you commit. The sins that we as human beings have And when we come to the age of accountability to know right and wrong, to choose God or not, those sins are a black spot that separates us from God. And yet He came that we might have life everlasting. He came and shed His blood and went through that torture and died and rose again, that we might have life everlasting. Verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. All we like sheep. We are sociable beings. We tend to be attracted to people that have the same beliefs, interests, and viewpoints. We're sociable people. Birds of a feather flock together. We know that. And that we can see that actually happen. But as we look at these verses in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. This word astray means to cause, to make, to err, to to seduce, to wander, to be out of the way. And we all, apart from Christ, tend to go our way, our own way. And we tend to go on that broad way that leads to destruction. But we don't have to go there. We don't have to go that direction because Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is that narrow way, that door. We tend to go our own way, and yet Christ is calling each one of us. As Abraham laid Isaac on that altar when God called him to Mount Moriah, as as Abraham laid Isaac on that altar, so God gave his only begotten son 
and he laid Jesus or had Jesus the sacrifice for the sins of the world, for you and for me. Says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. In, Ma- in Matthew 26, verse 62, it says, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, You said it. Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? And they answered, He is guilty of death. And then it says, They spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? But the outstanding thing in all of that was that he answered not a word except to say, You said it. And today, or whenever, hereafter, ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. And he wasn't telling the untruth because God is absolute truth. And Jesus Christ being a part of that Godhead is absolute truth. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, went through all of this that we might have life everlasting. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, was betrayed by a friend. This friend had spent time with him and knew knew him. He knew where he would go to be alone. And he was taken captive by a band of religious people. Religious people carrying swords and staves, swords and clubs. Then he was led to an illegal trial where he was falsely accused, beaten, mocked, and paraded around as an illegitimate king. He appeared before Pilate and Caiaphas and finally was scourged and led away to be crucified. And all of this was spoken in the Law and the Prophets, the prophecies of And throughout this obvious, illegal, and inhumane treatment, how did Jesus respond? It says he opened not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He allowed the persecutors and the tormentors to do with him what they wanted because he knew that he was doing the bidding of his Father in heaven. Even though he spent that time agonizing in prayer, in the garden, for God to take this cup away. Yet he was committed to do the will of the Father. He was committed to fulfilling the prophecy that was laid out, giving his life for you and me. And we all know that Jesus had the power. 
tell those men their name when they hit him. Jesus could have walked right through those men with swords and staves when they came to the garden to take him captive. And yet he opened not his mouth. He was the Lamb of God. And as sheep before her shears is dumb or quiet, so he openeth not his mouth. Now, I've never raised sheep. Um, I read that book. Oh, man, Daddy, you gave me that book. Yes, there you go. And it spoke of a shepherd working with sheep. Sheep are sociable. They flock together. And yet, when they are led, and I read this, when a lamb is led to slaughter, and this is the real lamb, the little cute fuzzy things, when these lambs are led to slaughter, there is no noise. There is no bleeding. When a sheep is being sheared, there is no noise. They just allow the one that is working with them to do their job. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, quiet, so he openeth not his mouth. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was exemplifying part of the nature of God that is hard for me to understand. It's hard for mankind, I think, to get a grasp on. It is the meek and quiet servant. I am far from there. And I know you all know that. I am far from there. But it is a servant that does no one harm. It is a servant who continues to serve in spite of mistreatment. John 15, verse 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And this is the commandment, verse 12, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And it doesn't say this here, but I say this. What greater love can we have? Verse 12, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, the perfect sacrificial lamb, the one that Isaiah spoke of, that would go through all of these horrendous tortures and beatings and rejection. He knew it from the beginning. And in that body of a man, 
Jesus knew that he would suffer the pain, the humiliation, and everything else that goes along with that beating and crucifixion. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than, he lay, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. This God that we worship in the beauty of holiness, this God that is the creator of the universe, came as a babe, lived as a man, gave his life a ransom for all. He didn't do it for the fanfare, but he did it as the perfect, sacrificial Lamb of God. And he opened not his mouth. So may we be challenged personally to live a life in example, in following the example of what Christ did for us. May we be challenged to live a life of meekness, of quiet, of sacrifice in laying down our life for our brother or sister. To God be the glory.